0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning can be found on page 1082 of the Bibles in the pews. Uh, Page 1082 we're reading uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Page 1082, John 14. And Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, Show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we stand, let me pray for us now. As we've been singing, Heavenly Father, we do uh, glory in our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Uh, We uh, thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts for him. Um, And as we thank you for him, we thank you for the one who crushed the power of sin and death, the one who brought life to us, who loves us as his own, and who crowns our life with loving kindness. We thank you, and we pray that that glorying in him may grow deeper now, in Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. Well, uh, I add my own welcome to that of uh, Ben's earlier in the service and uh, encourage you to do uh, two things, if you would. One would be to turn in the Bible uh, to John chapter 14, uh, page 1082, the reading that we uh, had uh, earlier from Ian. Uh, the other thing that I think you'll find particularly helpful uh, will be to dig out the, um, uh, the, the handout, the sermon outline, uh, which has been tucked in your bundle. Uh, there are a number of quotes on there, uh, so even if you don't like taking notes, um, then I think having the quotes to hand will be very useful. Um, in uh, this book, uh, Run Baby Run, Nikki Cruz describes how he was saved by Christ out of a life of crime as a gang warlord in New York. He was raised in a terrible neighbourhood in Puerto Rico by parents who were spiritists. His parents mentally abused him. His own mother repeatedly called him son of Satan. What a life to begin. When he was 15, his parents sent him to live with his older brother in New York City. Uh, Once there, he ran away and started living on the streets and became a member of a a street gang. To cut a long story short, he met the preacher David Wilkerson who told him that God loved him, simply that. And even though at the time when he first heard that he threatened to kill the preacher, it wasn't long before he met David Wilson again and eventually uh, Nicky Cruz asked God to forgive him and he started to follow Jesus Christ. It is a most wonderful story of a, a life completely transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. But I mentioned uh, Nicky cruz uh, this morning because there was another remarkable change that came about in his life as he went on as a christian indeed uh, fred saunders writes about it in this book embracing the trinity uh, he writes this of uh, Nicky cruz and uh, again this is on the uh, on the handout first he saw the trinity as a difficult doctrine that had to be accepted but could hardly be explained Then he went on to see it as an illuminating doctrine that explained what he read in the Bible and what he experienced in his actual Christian life. Whereas he first encountered the doctrine as a problem, he came to understand it as a solution. And as I read that, I thought, yeah, that's actually how many Christians see the Trinity as a problem, like a a round circle. It it just doesn't add up. Can't square it, if uh, I can put it that way. So Fred Saunders writes of us he says we tend to acknowledge the doctrine of the Trinity with a polite hospitality but not welcome it with any special warmth. Now my hope is that as we consider the nature of God in the Trinity we will embrace this truth and more than that be transformed by it our lives change just as uh, Nicky Cruz's life was changed. Uh, not only by the gospel, but by the truth of the Trinity. Now, I dare to believe that that began to happen last week as we thought about how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Uh, It certainly had an impact on me to understand the Father better, uh, to see that God is a loving God who, in his very nature, wants to pour out life and blessing upon his children, And that he gives life because it is in his very nature to give life. That he loves because it is in his very nature to love. Father, Son and Spirit love one another deeply. That he is generous and kind and gracious and warm because he is the Father. It's a wonderful thought. But it should leave us asking, how do we know? How do we know all this about the Father? And that of course is where the Son is so crucial. Now look with me at these famous words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse six. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now in that statement about Jesus, we see how Jesus, God the son, is the only way who can bring us to know the father. And we come to our first point on the handout. The son is the truth. He is the supreme revelation of God. See, as we said last week about the father, the very fact that there is the son points us towards the father. For there to be the son, there must be the father. Same point, but the other way around from last week. It's obvious when we stop to think about it. I am a son. Um, the son, as it happens, of William John Williams. Uh, my poor dad having to go through life with a name like that. But uh, just that statement, I am a son, tells you that there is a father. So the very revelation of the Son, tells me there must be the Father. But the Son does much more than tell me that there is a Father. For Jesus, God the Son, is the perfect revelation of the Father. He is the truth, the truth about God. Now, look, God has revealed himself in in several ways, in many ways. He's revealed himself to us in creation. Now, there's much we can learn about God through creation. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. God. So on a beautiful, clear night, we can look up at the sky and gaze at the stars. There are billions of them. And when we see them and consider how many of them there are and see how vast the universe is, then we know that the one who created it all must be powerful and immense. The heavens declare the glory of God. As I look up the sky on a glorious summer's day, I see the sun, which gives warmth and light and energy for things to grow. And as I see the clouds scudding across and bringing rain, So the heavens declare that God is a generous, life-giving God, one who delights in bringing life and warmth and growth and blessing. So the heavens do declare the glory of God. But the heavens don't tell me that God is Father. Still, God has revealed himself in creation. He's also revealed himself in his word. Here in the Bible, I learn so much about God uh, more than creation alone can tell me. And God's revelation of himself in his word is wonderful. And his word is what I need if I'm to know him. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't simply describe God or explain God. It's not just full of bare facts about God. No, it gives us the supreme revelation of God, not a description, but a person. This doesn't work perfectly, but let me try and illustrate it like this. I have a brother. I can tell you a lot about my brother. I can tell you that he's four years older than me, that he's five foot 11 inches tall, that he has thinning hair, hair that used to be black and is now, well, the same color as mine, I could tell you that before he went grey, he was described as tall, dark, and two out of three is not bad. Uh, or tall and in the dark, very handsome. Those are my descriptions of him. No one else actually said it. I can tell you that my brother's name is David and that he's married and has a daughter. Uh, look, I could go on and on telling you about my brother. I've known him for 50 years after all. There's so much that I could tell you about him, but all my descriptions would be no substitute for you meeting him. You'd know so much more about him if he came and spent a week with you. And you'd know even more about him if, you spent three, if he spent three years with you or if he spent his whole life with you. That's how it is with Jesus. He is the truth about God. He doesn't just tell us the truth about God. He is the truth about God. He is the perfect revelation of God. Meet Jesus and we meet God. So much so that Jesus can say in verse nine, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Uh, the New Testament writers go on uh, again, a couple of, Uh, references that I put on the sheet for you. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, it's crucial that we don't misunderstand this language of image and exact representation. Uh, On on Bank Holiday Monday, uh, we went to uh, Yorkshire Wildlife Park. We've been there before, but since the last time we went, there was a new addition to the park. They now have giraffes magnificent creatures we were looking at them and thinking well, how amazing they are they are very tall and that's not just because i'm very small that i say that they really are tall as one of them walks serenely towards us everyone reached for their cameras we did too so now we have an image of the giraffe but it's no substitute for seeing it in the flesh now that is not the way that this is talking about image See, if I could have borrowed the giraffe from the Yorkshire Wildlife Park this morning, I'd have uh, brought it into the bill. That really would have been a Sunday to remember, wouldn't it? <laughs> it in. I'm not sure how we'd have got it through the door, but it would have been very interesting. Then you'd have had before your eyes the exact representation of a giraffe, which is a giraffe, you see? That's how the Bible writers are talking about when they write that Jesus is the image of the invisible God that he is the exact representation of God's glory the exact representation of God is God the image of the invisible God is God so Jesus could say verse 9 anyone who's seen me has seen the father and why is all that so important well that means that all the guessing games about God are over Now, one of the questions I'm most frequently asked is how do you know God exists? The answer is Jesus. He came and walked on planet Earth. God walked around uh, this planet. And if we'd been in the right place at the right time, the right place, Israel, at the right time 2,000 years ago, if we'd been in the right place at the right time, we could have seen God with our own very eyes. Isn't that amazing? But for all of us who weren't there in the right place at the right time, all is not lost for there were eyewitnesses, credible eyewitnesses that have accurately recorded for us everything we need to know about Jesus so that we too can know the truth about God. And so as I look at Jesus, I not only know that God exists, but I know what God is like. In Jesus, God has revealed himself unmistakably, unequivocally, unambiguously now you see here is where the trinity is not a problem to be solved but it is the solution how else can i know the father unless the son reveal him and so if you want to know what god is like read the bible because the whole bible is about jesus which is a big statement i'm I'm not going to go into that now you'll have to ask about it afterwards but the whole bible is about jesus Uh, so read the bible Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not sure about the existence of god let me say thank you for coming it is great to have you here allow me to encourage you to read the bible the whole bible is about jesus but especially if you read one of the accounts of jesus life matthew mark luke or john then you will find the supreme revelation of god you'll know that god exists and what he's like And Christian here, if you're struggling with your faith right now, if you're going through a hard time and you're having doubts about the character of God or even the existence of God, look at Jesus and you'll see the most loving man who ever lived. One who cared for people, cared enough for you to give his life for you. When we look at Jesus, we discover that God is a wonderful God, kind and compassionate and thoughtful and caring, but no pushover. He's strong, challenging the establishment, confronting immorality, fighting against evil. You see, looking at Jesus and all the guessing games about God are over. He is the truth about God, the solution to knowing God. Now, as we look at Jesus' words in verse 6, we see that Jesus is not just a way to know God. And Jesus is not just the best way to know God. Verse 6, he is the way to know God. He is the one and only way to the truth because only jesus reveals the father no other way to know the father no other way to know god but not all jesus disciples get that not all jesus disciples get that today i meet people who call themselves jesus disciples and say well you know jesus is the best revelation of god or he's a revelation but you can you know know god other ways can't you know now, Philip didn't get that either. Jesus spelled it out very clearly, clearly. Look in verse seven. If you really knew me, you'd know the father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Very clear, isn't it? If you know Jesus, you know the father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. That's very clear. But Philip said, verse eight, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. See what Philip is trying to do? He is trying to bypass Jesus. Just show us God i would never mind about the jesus thing you know i meet people like that today people from other religions think they can know god apart from jesus jesus says they can't people with no religious affiliations think the same so people say to me i like to think god is like and what they then go on to describe to me is nothing like jesus and so they don't know god because Jesus is the truth about God. So if we think God is like something other than Jesus, then we don't know the truth. He is the truth about God because he is God. So it is because God is Trinity that I can know the truth about God. Jesus then is the truth, the supreme revelation of God. Secondly, uh, Jesus is the way, uh, the only road to God. Uh, Verse six again, I'm the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me now again jesus is not just the only way to know about god but he's the only way to come to god at the end of chapter 13 jesus spoke of his death now understandably his disciples were upset and unsettled by that and so jesus said to them verse one do not let your hearts be troubled trust in god trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So here they are facing death, the death of Jesus, the the one that they'd followed for three years. And Jesus gave his disciples these great words of assurance of a heavenly home with the Father and the promise that he was going to prepare a place in his father's house. Now, I reckon there's a fair amount of confusion over what Jesus is talking about here. When I talk to people about this verse, it seems they have this picture in their head of of Jesus going to a heavenly mansion and preparing a room by making the beds and plumping the cushions and putting a name on their door and you know decking it out in just the way they'd want it. That's not it at all. No, Jesus prepared a place in heaven for us by dying for us. When Jesus says, I'm going away, he was talking about going to the cross. It was at the cross that Jesus prepared a place for us in his father's house. And having died, he rose from death, ascended into heaven, and is at the right hand of the father. All one big moment. That's his going away. The death is the key thing. That is why he is the way. Jesus is the way to know the father because he is the only one who could deal with our sin. Our sin being the thing that separates us from God. Now look, we were singing about it. Um, these, um, we often call them the children's songs. They're fantastic. Don't, I hope we don't uh, switch our heads off uh, when, when we sing the children's song. We've just sung about it. No one is good. No one is holy before God. I need someone to cleanse me. That's what we were singing earlier. Sin is too strong for me to conquer on my own. I know that in my life. I need someone to help me. Jesus is the way because he's the only one who can deal with sin, the sin that separates us from God. Now, look, what I've just said is not new to many of us here, but do you see why this points us towards the Trinity? Uh, from time to time, Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. Um, I, I quite enjoy them knocking on my door. We have quite an interesting discussion. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe that Jesus is fully god equal with jehovah so when i speak to them one of the things i put to them i don't put it as blandly as this you'll understand but i put to them that their god is an unjust god for he takes an innocent third party jesus and makes him a sacrifice that's what you get when you don't believe in the trinity you end up with a different god a god who is unjust and cruel why should jesus die on the cross he hasn't done any wrong A few years ago, a prominent Christian leader got himself into a real theological pickle because he wasn't clear on the Trinity. He described the cross as cosmic child abuse. God taking his son and sacrificing him. And of course, if that's what's happening on the cross, that is horrible. But that is what you get if you're not clear on the Trinity. Now, in contrast to those wrong views of the cross, listen to the way John Stott describes uh, God being at the heart of our salvation Again, the, um, uh, the the quotes are on uh, are on the are on the handouts. Um, they come from the cross of Christ. This uh, magnificent work of uh, of John Stott, a rather old copy that I've got here. And at this point uh, in uh, this writing, Stott is dealing with the theological word propitiation. Now, don't worry too much about that word, but it, it is simply the word of. Uh, of talking about averting god's wrath god being rightly angry at sin and having to deal with that and he writes this the person god offered was not somebody else whether a human person or an angel or even his son considered as somebody distinct from or external to himself no he offered himself and then John Stott adds, and over the page on the, uh, on the handout. It is God himself who in holy wrath needs to be propitiated. God himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiating. And God himself who in the person of his son died for the propitiation for our sins. That's the crucial point. Thus, God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it in his own self in his own son when he took our place and died for us there is no crudity here to evoke our ridicule only the profundity of holy love to evoke our worship you see here we understand why the trinity matters and why it is a solution and not a problem without the cross without the trinity at the cross we have a cruel and unjust god who sacrifices an innocent third party we have cosmic child abuse the character of god is instantly changed but understanding the trinity at the cross i see the love that god has for me god himself is the wronged party I've ignored him and kicked sand in his face and shaken my fist in his face and yet he loves me enough to die for me. Not some innocent third party, he, God, dies for me. And when you begin to see the love that the father has for the son, the father loves the son so much and yet was willing to give the son for me on the cross. The son loves the father so much And so perfectly and out of his love for the father, he is prepared to die for me. Understanding the Trinity is life transforming. No one else loves me like that. And that is why Jesus is the only way to the father. Who else can deal with our sin? Who else can bring forgiveness but God himself? What have we sung? No one is good. No one is holy before God. I need someone to cleanse me. Sin is too strong for me to conquer on my own. And so Mike Reeves, in summing up this second point, I'll quote him, he says, God makes no third party suffer to achieve atonement. The one who dies is the Lamb of God, the Son. And it means that nobody but God contributes to the work of salvation. The Father, Son, and Spirit accomplish it all. Now, if God were not triune, if there was no Son, no Lamb of God to die in our place, then we would have to atone for our own sin ourselves. We would have to provide for God could not, but hallelujah! God has a son, and in his infinite kindness, he dies, paying the wages for sin for us. It is because God is triune that the cross is such good news. Well, we've seen Jesus is the truth, the supreme revelation of God. Secondly, Jesus is the way, the only road to God. Thirdly, Jesus is the life, the son is the life, the meaning and goal of life. There is so much in John's gospel about life. And as you read it, you see it's all tied up with Jesus. In chapter five, we read that the son has life in himself just as the father has life in himself. So Jesus, the son, like the father, is not dependent on anything else for life. He has life in himself, that can't be said of us. We're dependent on something to keep us alive. God himself gives us life, keeps us alive. That can't be said of the Son. No one has given him life. No one keeps him alive. He has life in himself. And so with life in himself, he gives life. It is, of course, a claim to be God. In chapter 10, Jesus says that he gives life in all its fullness. He gives abundant life, fullness of life. In John chapter 11, Jesus calls himself the resurrection and the life. He gives life beyond the grave. As we put all those things together, we see Jesus is the source of life. And so he is the way to life. Now, that language of life takes us to the very longing of our hearts. (laughs) Uh, 18 months ago, uh, if you've been in the church that long, you'll know, we we did... uh, our our survey I suppose we call it where we asked um, all our friends or as many friends as would uh, be asked one big question remember the question if you could ask God one question and you knew it would be answered what would it be in our survey the second most asked question and two of my friends asked this very question the second most asked question was what is the meaning of life Uh, It told me, I don't think I'd realised it until we did that. It told me there is a sense of meaninglessness around. Strange, isn't it? We've never had it so good. Here in Fulwood in the 21st century, we have so much. I know that life is not trouble-free in S10. I'm not saying that. But just think about the life we enjoy compared to people all over the world. And never mind all over the world. Just compare what we have to people in other parts of this country and in this city. And certainly compared to life down through the centuries, we have so much. We have so much and yet it seems we have so nothing. We are empty. We are desperate for meaning. Another big question that came up during our one big question and is a question that I need to address whenever I take a funeral is what happens when we die? When death comes knocking on our door, we want to know if there is life after death. Now, look, as Jesus says here in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the life. He is addressing those two big questions of the meaning of life and of eternal life. And as we draw to a close, turn on with me to John chapter 17 and verse three, just over a page uh, in the church Bibles. And I will attempt to bring these, this thought of life together in this, uh, in this uh, passage Here is Jesus praying to his father, which incidentally is, I can't pass this by without making the point, this is another clear expression of the Trinity. Jesus doesn't pray to himself, he prays to the father. So here uh, we see Jesus the son praying to the father and look what Jesus prays, verse one. Uh, father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The son gives eternal life and eternal life we see here is to know God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. There's the answer to our big, two big questions. The meaning of life is to know the Father and the Son. And life beyond the grave, eternal life, is given by the Son, and it will be all about knowing God. And as we look on in this prayer of Jesus, we discover something quite spectacular about what it means to know God and what it will be like to be God. Uh, in the presence of the father look down to verse 24 of chapter 17 this is one long prayer and here he says verse 24 father i want those who have uh, sorry i want those you have given me to be with me where i am jesus is praying for you and for me for believers who would follow him down through the years And his prayer is mind-blowing. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. Now, here's the question. What would it be, what would it mean to be with Jesus where he is? Well, chapter one and verse 18, there's no need to turn it up, but chapter one and 18 tells us that the son is at the father's side. More literally, in the bosom or the lap of the father. The father and the son are, if I may put it rather crudely, bosom pals. They are so close, they are inseparable because of their love for one another. Not because they are one person, but because they are two persons in love and in unity. They love each other so perfectly that they cannot be separated. That is where the son is, in the bosom or in the lap of the father, in perfect relationship with the father. And here's the thing that is, for me, spectacular. That is where the Christian can look forward to being. Chapter 17, verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Again, not talking about proximity, but relationship. Having that closeness with the Father. I can be and am close to Caroline whether I'm in the same room as her or not. It's not about proximity, it's about relationship. And we can be, will be, as close as Jesus is to the Father. Now that is eternal life. Eternal in length for being that close to the one who has life, I will always have life. But eternal in quality for being that close to the one who gives life, I will enjoy life to the full. For as we saw last week, the father is so loving and generous and kind. The father delights to give abundant, full, enjoyable life. And so the psalmist can write, and again, this is on the handout, in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. Pleasure forevermore. Again, it doesn't mean I'm just going to be sitting and standing by the right hand of the father. That's not the point. That is where the son is, but I will have that same kind of relationship with him. We long for meaning in life and we want to be sure of life beyond the grave. We can't find it in ourselves. But that abundant life is in the father and we come to the father through the son. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life he makes the father known he brings us to know the father and he gives life eternal life eternal life which is so magnificent in quality we will want it never to end and it never will here is why the trinity is not a problem to solve but the answer to life itself and here is why understanding the very nature of god in the trinity is Life transforming. Let's pray together. Our Father, these are amazing things that you have chosen to reveal to us. We thank you we're not left in the dark about you, that in Jesus. We see what you are like. We see you, and we thank you uh, very much um, that uh, you have not only revealed yourself to us, but in Jesus provided a way to come to know you. And we thank you for this remarkable, astonishing thought of life—the same life that the, that you enjoy with your Son and the Spirit, the same closeness of relationship being ours now and in eternity that we may be where the sun is we pray that these things would not simply be facts that we know but deep truths that go into our hearts and that change our lives as we are overwhelmed by your love for us overwhelmed by the security we have in you and thrilled to be your children. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.